Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. My name is Joss Golden and I'm so happy that you're here. In this podcast series, I interview people who are passionate about parenting. We talk about many things to do with parenting and motherhood and explore the joys and challenges that we all face in our families. The aim of the podcast is to share more about aware parenting, to inspire us all on our parenting adventures, and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. So, just before we start this episode, I want to share with you about a new live round of my Aware Parenting Teenagers course, which is starting on the 27th of February, 2023. The course content, the 12 uh, different sections that I have, maybe it's 13 actually, um, all have videos and reflections books and other resources available. And that course is available at any time for you to access. And the live rounds last for three weeks where we have several Facebook lives, Zoom calls, Q&As. And we also have an ongoing moderated Facebook group where we can discuss all things to do with the web parenting and applying this beautiful approach with our teenagers so that we can develop really close, connected, respectful, loving relationships with them. If you want to find more, please go to my website, awareparenting.com.au. Now, let's get on with this beautiful interview. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really happy to be having a conversation with Laura Shares. Laura, thanks so much for making time to come and talk to us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. So Laura is the mother of two children who are four and seven. She is currently a midwifery student, but she's also really passionate about sharing the aware parenting philosophy with new mothers and fathers and with birth workers. She is a certified yoga teacher, an aware parenting instructor, and a massage therapist. She's been working in the birth world as a pregnancy yoga and mums and bubs yoga instructor for the past seven years. She also holds a master's degree in conflict resolution and mediation, which she delved into the field whilst living in Israel and facilitating youth groups in high schools. She's passionate about physical and emotional healing for families and about making mothers and families' lives more joyful. She lives in the Northern Rivers area of Australia with her family. So thank you. That's an amazing, amazing bio. So much incredible, different, but all related areas of of expertise and sharing. Thanks so much. That's so lovely to have you on the show. So I always start just by asking people, like, how did you find aware parenting and, and what was it that sort of appealed to you and really spoke to you when you about this approach? Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So um, I was so lucky because my daughter was three months old. She was born in 2015. And then in 2016, early that year, I went to a mom's group that one of the local moms organized with Marion Rose. So she's a level two instructor. I think everybody knows Marion. She has the Aware Parenting podcast now. And so as a mom's group, we were invited, you know, one of the moms organizes to come and listen and learn about the approach. And I quickly, you know, did a little Google search, learned about it. And I was like, wow, that sounds really helpful and good. I'd love to attend this, this moms and bubs group, meet other moms and maybe learn about ways to help my child. So yeah, I I attended the session and I was blown away. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I just feel so blessed and grateful and lucky that I was there. And um, at such an early age, I could learn about this approach because I, like for those few months, I had always been breastfeeding like all the time doing attachment style parenting, but I didn't know about emotional release. I didn't know about information for a baby. I didn't know like so many aspects of aware parenting that I didn't know intuitively. So it was so nice to get to attend that circle and learn about it. And then Marion also continued to do like monthly sessions to clarify things, because I've got to say, like, I learned about it, but it was very hard to instantly stop breastfeeding to sleep, stop going for walks to try to calm my daughter down. So yeah, so it was so great to also have that support. So that's pretty much how it got started. And I just feel, yeah, feel incredibly lucky that it came to me such an early stage in my parenting journey. Yeah, I love that story. And I loved what you were saying about some elements of it fitting with what you were already doing and some elements of it being stuff that you just didn't, you weren't aware of. And it wasn't something that you intuitively understood. And yeah, I liked also the, your your stress about that, how helpful it was to have that ongoing support, because like you say, it it is a really 
complex and multi-layered thing aware parenting and it's it's not something that you just read a book and start doing it in your family and everything's fine and easy from now on it's it's always this ongoing process of learning more and learning how to adapt what what you've been doing to face the the new challenges in your family and and healing layers of our stuff too so there's there's this ongoing need for all of us i think and to keep getting that support and to keep having places where we can go and ask questions and share and i love that there's so much of that in the community now spaces where people can be asking and and receiving that kind of support because it's yeah it's just life-changing so life-changing it is definitely life-changing yeah yeah (laughs) like I feel like like you said like also healing layers of myself that I didn't know were there that you know things that were coming up oh this is why I can't quite listen and and having that support from other empathy buddies other moms and from you know an instructor was just so beneficial for myself from my own personal transformation Mm, yeah Absolutely. And I it's quite I found it quite surprising when I realized how much of parenting was actually about doing my work. And yes. we think of it as being all about the children, but really so much of it is all about us. And I'd love to know a bit more about that process, things that you're willing to share about that for you, around what that looks like now for you to be getting support and and how how that process has has helped you. Yeah, well, I think like over the last seven years, <laughs> I've pretty much gotten, yeah, like tapped into different resources that Marion or other instructors have offered and attended online sessions or group sessions and then became an instructor myself. So um, sometimes we did empathy buddies, like instructor with instructor. But like to give a specific example of something I can actually think of where I felt like this huge shift, I think could could be helpful. So I remember like the attachment play aspect when my daughter was kind of like a toddler age being difficult for me. And I was like, why don't I want to play? Like, I love playing. I'm a fun person. Like, I want to play with her, but I just can't. And I would look around the house and find something to distract myself. And I wasn't really able to be there um, in that in the, in the way that I wanted to. And I didn't understand why. And then I remember an instructor's helping me to rethink about my childhood and how like I wasn't like I had a beautiful childhood, but I know that my mom was busy and um, she didn't play with me the way that attachment play is all the time. And not that we need to do that all the time, but I felt like I wanted it more. And she was often like, oh, tomorrow and didn't do it for me. And then when I was remembering those childhood experiences, it really helped me to kind of have that phrase of like, mom, will you play with me in my head of childhood, Laura? And my mom saying, oh, tomorrow and remembering how I felt and then kind of wanting to shift that and and, have, and having her in my head say like, yeah, let's play, let's do it. And then I found myself feeling more willingness and openness to say to my daughter, okay, yes, let's do it. Let's play. And just going through that, that memory of not that I'm hurting, holding any hurtful feelings to my mom or anything like that, but just to try to understand why I was kind of blocked and finding distractions to limit the play. And then once I kind of got through that, it allowed me to open up and be there a lot more openly and to be there to say, and what do I want to hear? I want to hear, I wanted to hear, yes, let's do it. And so I used to always after, you know, after a certain amount of time, when I broke through that barrier, I was like, yes, I want to. And I remember recently my daughter just like made my day because we watched this movie on Netflix called Yes Day. And it's about how moms and the dads don't say yes. They're always like, no, you can't do that. And then my daughter said to me, but you always say yes to me. And I, <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's that's huge because I didn't when you were little. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's really helpful to have examples of, of these things where we've faced challenges in our parenting and things have come up for us. And I think play is quite often one that people find difficult because like you say, it's not something that we received at all in in our childhood, this type of play, this very specific way of playing that is all about connection and all about supporting healing. So I love that story and how hard it is having not received that ourselves, and how 
bringing our awareness to that and then processing these childhood memories where we can shift our blocks just simply by by getting listening, by getting to share the feelings that are coming up for us and then having these reparative experiences where we we hear these phrases that we really wanted to hear at the time and we get to say what we wanted to say at the time and then and then we're free. We're free of that stuff. I think it's so profoundly powerful. And then we can see how we're doing this and offering this to our children. We are listening to them. We are rewinding with them when things are tricky and we are doing it again and giving them a much more loving and connected kind of response. And then they're free and they don't have to hold on to these traumas in their lives. It's just so, it's so powerful when we, when we can see the benefit for us and the benefit for our children and and the need for it to be an ongoing process. So I love that story. Thank you. And sorry, I just wanted to add also that, and I don't mean that we have to say yes all the time to our children, but yeah, that aware parenting kind of helped me to rephrase that like, oh no, I don't want to or understand what was happening in my head. And then to rephrase it and to be like, even if I couldn't play at the moment, be like, yes, I want to. I I will do one thing and then we'll play. So it's it's not to say that like we have to drop everything all the time and be there. So yeah, I just wanted to add that little bit after. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but I think what's really nice about what you're saying, Laura, as well, is that how we are, we're learning to be really connected to, to when we are yes, when we do have a full yes and, and when it's more of a no that we have. And so we're really authentically communicating with our children yeah. and we're not coercing ourselves to do things that we are not willing to do. And we're not coercing our children either. We're just always coming from this space where we're tuning into how we're feeling or we're trying to tune into how they're feeling. And then we're responding to them in those ways. And I love how aware parenting gives us this way of saying no in a really loving way to our children too. And and with this beautiful term that Marion created, the loving limit. How have you found the process of learning how to use loving limits in your family? Loving limits have been so helpful also. Yes, I've found those just absolutely, yeah, very transformational as well, just to be able to be there to keep our children with safe boundaries and to also be loving and compassionate and to not to be angry. Things come up and to, to offer like when possible, not all the time, of course, like sometimes there are moments, but yeah, when possible to be there and to, to use the loving limits as a really wonderful tool for helping our children understand what they can and can't do and to help them also express their feelings when they need to and to know that I'm not like mad at them or upset. So yeah, loving limits is such a powerful tool. Very grateful for that one. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I love it. <laughs> and it, it's a process to learn how to offer them and to to stay with that in, in a really loving way. But uh, I found it so profound as well. Yeah. So what about the listening to feelings aspect? Was that something that was easy for you to do right from the beginning? No, definitely not. And more so my husband is still processing that one. (laughs) But um, (laughs) even just last night, I remember my son was crying and I was doing something. He said, oh, can you go run and be with him? And then he like went to the room and he's like, oh, don't cry. And I was like, oh, he's so close. He's getting there. (laughs) But but he was there with him and able to be in the room. So that was huge for my husband. (laughs) But yeah, also for me, I, I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't like, when I learned about the approach, I don't think I was like, trying to shush or say don't cry but I did it was a bit hard for me to not want to fix the problem and to be there to to listen and and I remember also feeling like you know unsure is this really the right thing like at certain points when like it might be a big emotional release so I did find like that process of learning to listen a bit like oh am I doing this right yeah and then it just kind of with with support, I did feel like, yes, this is the right thing to do. And also for me to stop my habit, like with my daughter, when I started, when she was a baby, to stop feeding her when she was crying and to and to really allow the process to happen. And then when I saw the result, then I was convinced and I saw, OK, this is this is good for her because this is helping her to feel relaxed. This is helping her to look at me and make eye contact. This is helping her to play. This is helping her to sleep better. So that's, you know, obviously one of the most amazing results that comes out of listening to feelings. So I think that helped to reassure me that this is a good thing to do for my child. Mm. Yes, that's such a great description. I really like that. And how hard it is to start with to be just listening to our children and not to be trying to fix it or to make things better, but actually to just allow the tears and to welcome the feelings. It's it's a big process. And 
yeah, I think it's really common for for so many people to have doubts at times about whether it's the right thing to do. And I think there again, it's why we need support in this process so that we can have spaces where we can go and just double check. Is this, am I doing it? Is this the right thing that I'm doing? And, and have spaces to share our doubts and our worries that come up. And I loved what you were saying about the evidence that we can then see from how our children are, that is so reassuring for us in this. And I loved how you described the fact that she was sleeping better, that she was more relaxed in her body, that there was more of that connection and eye contact. And all of those things are are so reassuring and, and support us ongoing with this process. Yeah, that's lovely. So you've mentioned a bit about play. And I know that one of the things that you're really, you love supporting families with is how to offer present time to our children when we have more than one of them. And this comes up so much in sessions with clients where, you know, if you've just got one child at home, it's quite easy to offer that non-directive child-centered play. But when there's more than one, it's a really tricky process. Can you talk through a little bit about that? Yeah. So I think when I knew that I was pregnant, I knew I was started to learn more about how you know, people manage having more than one kid and still offering present time. So I did make sure that this was something I still wanted to do, to not do present time with two of them at the same time, really, you know, even from the get go from when I had, you know, my two kids, then I would give time devoted just to one on one attention. So yeah, and I still make sure that we, we do that, like I'll have time with one child and my husband might be with them or they're doing something else, you know, make sure that one of them is happy and the other one can be fully, you know, with me. And I off, I ask them, what would you like to do? And, or, you know, just sometimes it's just, you don't even have to ask, like they just right away, they're waiting for you and something's ready set up and, or I in, initiate um something to do. So yeah, I found that having each child's different I think maybe in the beginning when I started doing present time, I would use like a timer, but I don't really do that now so much. It's more just seeing what they need. And then if I see that they're feeling calmer and happier in themselves, then we kind of stop and do something else. So it's more like a fluid kind of present time. And sometimes like with my son, who's four, it's often just like cuddles and things like that. He loves touch. And I think he goes to preschool. So on a preschool days, he just wants to like snuggle up together and that's his present time. But my daughter might, she's more like crafty. So she might want to do some art activity together and just, you know, have that special time or even reading a book to her. So yeah, at this age, that's what I'm finding the present time looks like, Mm. which is fun. (laughs) I like, I like all that stuff. (laughs) It is it's such a lovely way to be spending, like deliberately spending real connection time with each child. And uh, we used to do a thing where, like you're saying, my husband would take one and I would take the other and then we would swap. We would set a timer and then we would swap over. Or if I had both children by myself, I would often ask the person whose special time it was whether they were happy for the other child to be with us. And if the okay. other child was with us too, I would. it would be clear that it was the one child who got to decide what we were doing and the rest of us would play. We would perhaps do it that way or sometimes just knowing that if it was just a short time, one child could wait while I was giving special time to the other. But I think it really creates this desire to have this really deliberate, explicitly stated time where you're together. And it's it's such a powerful way to show our children how deeply we love them and to create that emotional safety for them to then be bringing their feelings to us and getting to share with us. And yeah, I love I love how you're describing that that you're responding to what they want. And like your son is at school and he's wanting that closeness when he's at home with you. And I love all that physical touch and how how nurturing and yummy that is. So yeah, I loved hearing that. Thank you. Yeah. And I was going to say also with the present time, just like you said, like, like that deep connection. So really looking at them and really feeling like they're the one thing, nothing else matters at that moment. And I find that for myself too, it's like a nice meditation to kind of let go of all the other things and be there. And I feel usually happier after the present time because I've kind of let go of other things that I'm 
doing and yeah, really made that deep moment to be with my child. And I've got to say that too, though, did take some time to get into because I remember early on in the parenting stage, just not being able to let go of like, oh, the, all the other things, the tasks around the house and stuff like that. But now it's it's like a joy to, to get to, it's really a joy to get to have those special moments with my children. And I've started studying this year, I've gone back to studies and so even more so, I'm just like cherishing, it's maybe been a bit too busy with my studies, but I do find that the present time is kind of like what has saved us. Like I just, okay, let go of everything and it's time to be with the kids. And I kind of like have the time for the studies, time for whatever else I have to do and the time for the kids. So present time has been really helpful to, to tap into like what I need to do and what I want to do with my kids. Mm, yeah, I love that. And it continues, like when we offer this to our children, like I see this, my son recently came home, he, he was moved away to go to university and he was home over the summer. And after about a week of being at home, he suddenly realized that he was on holiday, but the rest of us still had our lives going on. And so we were spending lots of time together, but it wasn't that sort of really quality connected time. And he actually came out and said, mom, I'd really love it if we could organize for me to spend time with each of you, like in the family, so that we actually really get this proper connection while I'm here. And it's not just, otherwise the time's just going to fly by and we'll just be living together, but not actually really spending time together. And I was just like, oh my God, that's so amazing that he asked for that. And he wanted that. So then he organized time and he spent time with my husband and he spent time with his sister and he spent time with me, as well as all the just general, you know, meals together and, and chats over cups of tea and all that kind of stuff. But I just was really struck by how amazing it is as a result of having done all this for so many years, this special time play with the children that that he he was so aware that there's a difference between spending time together and actually spending special deliberate connection time together. It's so beautiful. Wow, that's so beautiful. Yeah, that's amazing that he initiated that and made sure that happened over his summer break. Yeah. So are there other aspects of attachment play that you have found really helpful or are there any examples that you might want to share that have supported your children with their healing or? Yeah, definitely. Like I think symbolic play has been one of my favorites for certain situations that I was like, hmm, how are we going to get around this one that they're not quite overcoming something that's happened to them? So I've definitely used symbolic play for many situations, like starting with when my son was born, my daughter was three at the time. And even I think before he was born, we would do a bit of symbolic play, like kind of letting her experience what it might be like to have a baby and doing it like in an honest way. Like this is a baby that I'm going to be with a lot and probably not going to spend as much, won't have as much time or maybe not talking so much, but acting it out and letting her also be the mom. I remember often she wanted to be the mom and I was the baby or um, using dolls. So that was, that was very helpful. And then also after the baby was born, processing it with symbolic play, using dolls or, you know, toys or stuffed animals to go around um, understanding the birth of a baby and what it actually means. Not that the baby is going to be able to play right away and things like that. And then symbolic play also like with different illnesses or medical situations, even like when my daughter had lice, we set up, and I had it too, unfortunately, (laughs) we set up a bowl and a little station for shampooing and combing out the doll's hairs. And yeah, we, I remember that one. And also before going to the doctor for, you know, checkups and different things, kind of to helping her to understand what's going to happen also when we came home. And that really helped her a lot because she had a fear a bit of doctors, which I don't blame her because she had injections from an early age, like standard vaccinations that we did. And I think that does create some fear in children, you know, getting jabbed with <laughs> So I, she was quite scared and she used to, yeah, not want to go to the doctor. But then after a while, she she loved it. She didn't mind at all. Like So I think that symbolic play helped with that. And then another big example of symbolic play would probably be with the school, starting school, making like a little box that would be the classroom and the teacher and the classes. And my daughter's in year two now. So it's been, she's been, she just started, you know, primary school a couple of years ago. And yeah, she loves school. So I don't know if that's helpful from, you know, if the symbolic play helped or she just fits in there. Great. So that's, I'm very happy there that she likes school because she really 
comes home always excited to tell me about her day and I'm looking forward and she never wants to miss a day. She looks forward every day. I'm like, do you want to take a day off, spend some time with me? But she just loves school so much. So I can't really complain, but I do miss her. I love that. I love that. But yeah, it's such a powerful one, the symbolic play, isn't it, for for supporting. And it's so reassuring for us as parents that even though we know that our children are going to have stressful experiences that we can't protect them from, there are these great ways to to heal from it. And like you're you're describing three of the biggest stresses often for children in their years. One is you know, the birth of a second child when you're the first child or or medical procedures that can be really stressful and traumatic for children and and, and all that stuff around starting school. So I love how you can bring that symbolic play in to really support our children. And, and it's a really, there's a lot of trust there, but we get together with our children and we give them the the props and the toys and then they they kind of take it the way they need to take it in order to process what's there for them. It's just so, so effective. Yeah, I actually, there was one thing I, I also just remembered about because I did find that, you know, even with the symbolic play, I had to do a little bit more with the new brother situation <laughs> because she did have, a, obviously, you know, it's hard having a new family member. And so I did have an appointment with Aletha Salter and we went through some things that came up and she, because she did consultations. I'm not sure if she's still doing it, but I think she is. And I was like, oh, it just makes me so sad. She wants to, she's says she wants to throw him in the bin (laughs) and she says like I hate him and he's a baby and like I'm afraid it's going to already you know he's going to understand this and she said well what you could do is you could take a teddy and say okay this teddy is your brother and I tell him anything you want and tell him I I hate you I want to throw you in the bin just let her get it all out and I was a bit worried about doing this but uh, I did what she suggested and I, I have to say that it did help a lot so you know giving them that, that's I guess a form of symbolic play like saying this this teddy is now going to be your brother you can say whatever you want to allow them to release in a safe container so that they feel like they've been heard they've got those they've been able to get those emotions out yeah and to be like supported in how they're feeling like oh yeah you can say and she was a bit actually I remember my daughter was like no I don't think I want to do that like I don't you know but I think she did I can't quite actually remember 100% how it went but I do remember yeah I was like okay I'll I'll do this and she said a little bit like to the teddy pretending that it was her brother and and I do remember it either either getting resolved or like being so much less that I wasn't worried about it anymore the way she was feeling about him mm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I think it's so important then for us to be getting some listening as well, because often in order for us to be able to hear whatever it is that our children need to say at that moment, it, it does bring up stuff for us sometimes. And I remember my son going through this as well around the birth of his sister. And it was a few years later, actually, it wasn't when she was newborn, but a few years later, getting him to play these games and allowing him to say whatever he wanted to say in relation to her. And there was part of me that was like, oh, no, don't say that about your sister. <laughs> I wish she'd never been born. And I was like, oh, no. So that's when I found it so helpful to be able to take all of that stuff to my listening partner and share that with her so that I could then be really present to listen to him and actually really allow him to say whatever it was he needed to say about her without me making it mean anything more than just him expressing his feelings. But I love that Aletha described that game for for you because it is yeah it's so it's so helpful to to just allow our children to say whatever it is that they want to say whatever they need to get off their chest and then it's gone it's not a big deal anymore and they can be relaxed enough to most of the time be reasonably cooperative and loving towards their siblings yeah and i'm sure that alifa also like you said allowed me to release how i was feeling about hearing those those comments about her brother so the same way when you needed to have that heard from how you were feeling so that we could be there more present for our children. Yeah, the, 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 the how important it is for us as parents to also be supported and heard in order to be able to be there for our children. Yeah. Yeah, it's so crucial. It's so crucial, isn't it? Anything else that you'd like to say about play? Oh, I think that's oh, maybe power reversal games. Why not? I love power reversal games. <laughs> Those are also we almost every night we do a power reversal game. They're just great. Like, you know, push me over and <laughs> push me on the swing and take a magic wand and turn me into something like, yeah, we've always 
been doing those. And even when my son was just a baby, I remember just letting him lie down and I would sit down like cross-legged and then he would be lying down so that his feet could kind of push my chest. So even as a baby, just letting him push me over with his little feet and fall to the ground. And then I was so much fun getting to see my daughter do power reversal games with his, her little brother, like letting him be on the swing and then use his little feet to push her around so that like when he was on the swing, she would get pushed around. So yeah, power reversal games have been very effective and helpful also in our family. Yeah, love them, love them. And I love that your daughter was able to do that with, with her little brother too. I mean, that just shows how how free of, of so much of that stress of, of having him in her life. Yeah. <laughs> she was then able to play with him in that way. It's so lovely, so lovely. So what about things like self-care? And, and, and we've spoken a bit about getting listening for ourselves and the ongoing process of, of us needing support. But what about that aspect about meeting needs? Because we're trying so hard to be meeting our children's needs and exploring what their unmet needs might be. What about ourselves? Because that's often a really tricky one. We, we often come last. How's that process been for you? Oh, thank you for mentioning self-care. Yeah, that's such an important aspect of aware parenting. And I do notice that, uh, yeah, when I have time for myself, like even if it's my studies, which I love, like I love studying so that I do feel like I'm actually happier, feel satisfied and fulfilled. And then maybe in that way, it's been easier to like be there with the quality time with my children or, you know, doing doing simple things like going for a walk, making a nice meal for myself, having a little bit of time when they're in school. Yeah. So I think, yeah, and definitely I noticed that if I don't have those moments of self-care, that it's not so nice, you know, to, I just don't feel like such a nice person and it's, it's not so, it's not so easy to be there and doing the aware parenting techniques like to listen to my children or to play or to be there as as a partner a wife like so yeah self-care is definitely an essential element you know having good friends to talk to and then also having things that we are passionate about and love and I feel very lucky because I get to do so many things that I'm passionate about like I teach yoga so that's like fun for me too and I do yoga myself as well which I enjoy and yeah I feel like finding that balance that that very gentle, delicate balance of life. And, you know, it's easy to notice when it's right. And it's easy to notice when it's off, like if I'm angry and upset or, you know, depressed or whatever it is, like not in that happy, content state, then I know like something's missing and and it's a moment to to figure out what I need to do to, to which, which aspect of self-care is missing. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I loved how you described that. And the self-care can can include so many different things. And sometimes it is about yeah, doing what we love and doing what we're really passionate about and bringing more of that into our lives. And also that more relaxing sort of nurturing side that obviously for you is yoga or, you know, it could be like a walk on the beach or a nice bath or even just, you know, a moment in the sunshine, but yeah, taking time. And I loved how you described that you can tell by how you're feeling when you tune into yourself, if something's missing in terms of that self-care, and then you can start to take steps to, to bring more of that into your life. I just think it's so common for us as mothers to be, yeah, to be putting ourselves last and to be having there's such a big responsibility taking care of everybody in our families and doing it in our little nuclear families it can be really difficult and often because our needs weren't necessarily valued in our childhood many of us are quite disconnected from our needs I, I was very disconnected from my needs so uh, I love this process in a way parenting of us slowly reclaiming that connection to to our needs and finding ways to meet them yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. What are your favorite self-care? How do you, what do you do just to, to come back to yourself and feel that love and everything? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the thing that I love to do most is to go and swim in the ocean. That's what really makes me feel lovely. And so I try to do that throughout the year, even when it's like winter and cold here where we are, but I try to do that at least once or twice a week. Uh, the other thing I love doing is when on our property, we have this beautiful dam and I quite often go down and sit by the dam with a cup of tea and I just like I'm barefoot on the ground and I'm just, I do that sort of mindfulness kind of meditation where I'm, you know, what, what can I see? What can I hear? What can I taste? What can I feel? That's a really lovely practice. But what I try and do as well is if I get to the end of the day, 
and I check in and I think, have I done anything really lovely for myself today or not? And the answer is no. Then the last thing I'll do is put on a, a little meditation, a guided meditation for 10 minutes or so before I fall asleep. So then that's like my default. If I haven't managed to get to anything else of the day to look after myself, then I'll do that. But it's really, it's something that I have to keep coming back to because I, I find it, it does slip and I think, oh, hang on a minute, I've gone off. Yeah, I can feel in myself that I haven't got the capacity to be parenting the way I want to be parenting. And that's a sign to be bringing more self-care in so it's it's an ongoing process isn't it yeah that's so beautiful I love hearing about your swimming on the beach even in the winter yeah and nature and I find that sometimes self-care for me is also going into nature like with my kids like that's for me like initiating oh let's go into the garden even if they're there with me like it's still an aspect of self-care for me because in the garden or going for a walk so yeah I think self-care can also be you know with our children yeah, definitely. I love that you brought that in because there are, even when our kids are really little, there can be times when you know, we can have these lovely self-care moments together with them being there and yeah. we might be getting them to give us a little massage or we might be like having a bath together or yeah. going out in nature and just being in the trees or whatever it is. And now I do a lot of that with, with my daughter and we, she often comes to the beach with me and we swim together or we might go to the gym together. We often work out at the gym together. And so it's like, yeah, it's always finding ways to juggle because I think the other thing is that I tended to say, well, I don't have any time, so I, I'm just not going to bother because what I really want to do is something that's just not possible given that I've got two ch young children to look after and no no support in that process. But I think it's it's often just being creative and finding little ways. And in fact, mm -hmm. just being aware of the fact that we have unmet needs and that we are going to try to take steps to meet them, I think is really powerful, just that in itself. So yeah. yeah, it's a it's an ongoing process though, learning how to do it. And I love that when we do do it as well, we're also modeling to our children how important this is. And they learn mm. that that's something that they want to prioritize in their life as well, taking care of themselves and doing lovely things to make themselves feel nice is important too. Mm. You mentioned briefly about about your partner and about his learning in the process, and and I'm wondering. It's quite often it comes up with for people that it's it's difficult to to be practicing aware parenting and doing things very differently. Often we might be getting judgments from it could be from our partners or it could be from our families or it could be from our friends or other people who don't understand that approach. Is there anything you'd like to share about that? Yeah, I would. Um, that's kind. Of, I I brought it up because it is kind of like we're both going into aware parenting, but you know, maybe different levels of wanting or to receive the information or processing it and coming from different experiences, of course, like, I don't think he, he was, he was never like against it, but I think he did find aware parenting difficult to implement. He was always much better at play than me. So I'll give him, I'll give him that. But the crying has been very difficult for him to even just sit through, like he just had a hard time accepting the crying b being there in the room with like a baby or a child crying or a tantrum it's been difficult but he he has like i mean i've seen him like make lots of changes and it's and i like i said i think he always did understand the approach and like respect the approach and like it but it was hard for him to do it like practice it mm, yeah I think it's so common, isn't it, for men? And we can totally understand why when we look through that aware parenting lens. For most of us, we didn't receive listening. But for men, they also received all this huge cultural conditioning around it not being okay for, for boys to cry and that a sign of manhood is to be strong and never to show your emotions or to be vulnerable. And so it's really inevitable that it's going to be confronting and difficult for so many men to be listening to feelings. And it is so common, again, it's a generalization, but it is so common that it's it's easier for many men to, to get into the attachment play side of things. That was certainly true in my family too. There was lots of fighting on the bed going on and that was my husband's way of <laughs> really practicing aware parenting in the family But uh, and listening to feelings was more something that was my role. But it's it's a process, definitely, yeah. You talk as well about conflict resolution. That's obviously something that you've got a lot of skills and training and a lot of experience in. What would you like to say about bringing that into aware parenting and how you could support families to do that more? 
Yeah, well, I think that something from my my training with conflict resolution and facilitation and nonviolent communication is just that empathy and the reflective listening. So um, sometimes in my workshops, when I would do aware parenting workshops, and when I do do them, I bring in nonviolent communication, like having one person tell the other person a story, listening, reflecting back. So it doesn't have to, you know, just as a practice of how we're going to be with our children. So this is kind of how I was able to kind of make sense of it, to bring it into terms of like a facilitation or nonviolent communication technique. So when, when my daughter or son would cry, say, oh, I really hear you. You really, you really wanted that broken cookie (laughs) or you really wanted that, you know, you didn't want that broken cookie or you did want that, that toy. And even if I know it's not about that thing, but reflecting back and that using that statement that they've made to like help them to release their emotions or not only in that way, but to, to really offer that empathy and to reflect back and to be there and to be connecting, offering that support. And the way that aware parenting also, also is about the democratic discipline in a way, not really discipline, but just being like democratic and yeah, being there in a way that's going to not be permissive and not be authoritative, but to be there respectful of what um, our children are wanting and needing and looking at them in as someone that we're respectful towards. Yeah, mm. I'm not sure if I said that so perfectly, but <laughs> no, that was really helpful because I think you know, the really key things that I got from what you were saying is is the power of offering that empathy and offering that reflective listening. And it's really about making our children feel connected to us, to feel heard, to feel acknowledged. And I mean, that's just such a fundamental human need for all of us, isn't it? And I loved how you're you're saying that they're where parenting is really bringing bringing that respect. And instead of being permissive or being authoritarian with our children, we can just be loving and and connected and have this democratic kind of approach. And I love how Aletha talks about conflict. And I think her work is, I think all of our aspects of her work are amazing, but I, I really love this aspect of her work. And she talks about how having a, a, a healthy family is, is not having a family where there is no conflict because all families have conflict, but really a sign of a healthy family is, is one where that conflict is, is handled in a way that leaves everybody feeling loved. And I just think there's so much power in that statement because you know, often we might feel if there's conflict in the family that somehow we're failing or we're not doing aware parenting properly or there's something wrong with us or there's something wrong with our children. And really what she's saying is, of course, as humans, we're going to have times when there is conflict between us. And what matters most is that as much as we can, we come back to offering our children love, listening, empathy, reflection, understanding, acknowledgement, and respect, and and bringing that to everybody in the family, not just to our children, to ourselves, to our partners. Yeah, I think it's so powerful. Yes. And communication is such an important element. Communication in terms of conflict, of like communicating and knowing how to resolve the conflict. And like you said, conflict's inevitable. Also in relationships, like we're going to have conflicts and are are they going to also see that like we can resolve the conflicts will come up and we can learn from that experience and with the children too, that they can learn from each other and know how to understand the other's point of view. So I think, yeah, with, with the conflict, it can be like huge opportunities for growth, for learning and for when they get older, how to deal with conflicts that are going to arise in the community and work and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think Marshall Rosenberg's work is so helpful. So much of that as well, isn't it? It's just really uh, transformative when we learn how to express ourselves in a way that's really clear, but is really respectful. It's And it's a whole new language. Like well, that's not how things were handled at all in my family, where there was, when there was disagreements, there was big fights and there was, you know, often lots of sort of explosiveness and there was never a conversation around it afterwards. It was always just like, okay, we're just going to pretend that nothing's happened. Um, and so I, I really love this way of being, which is really about yeah, allowing allowing and trusting that conflict doesn't mean there's anything wrong. And in fact, it's a real opportunity for growth and for deepening our connection and for, for offering more empathy and more respect and more love to our kids and to ourselves. It's, it's really, really beautiful. Mm. 
So I know also one of the other things that you're really passionate about, Laura, is around birth work and your training, obviously now in midwifery, which by the way, I think it's incredible that you're going back and doing training with your kids so young. I I really (laughs) really admire the way that you're managing all, all of that in your life. But what what would you like to say about that? Because obviously that perinatal period is such a big, big, stressful, traumatic, transformative. Oh, there's so many words that we could use to describe it, but it's it's a really difficult and big, big time in our lives. What what do you notice in your training that's missing and how would you like things to be to be different? What would you love to bring to that space? Oh, I wish aware parenting was was taught for every midwife, for every doula, every lactation consultant and doctor. It's just, there's, there's nothing, you know, I don't think any, it's not that there's something different. There's, there's just ever, people are just bringing their own anecdotes and nobody really knows what to tell, I think, or they just tell what they've been told or, you know, so what I, it's just like no kind of uniform way of understanding how babies and children communicate and sleep and how to relax them and the benefits of what aware parenting is. Like even I listened to, I just yesterday listened to a podcast on a researcher. I mean, I think something that's a bit of a shame is there's not enough research with aware parenting. So the researchers aren't able to access the benefits of it. But yeah, a researcher on responsive sleeping, which overall what she said was, I was very happy. It was about like, you know, responding to our children, but she didn't actually know, she didn't sound like she knows anything about aware parenting, but she was like not encouraging controlled crying or anything like that. But what I see as a midwifery student in in my placements are midwives just going like shushing the babies. I've never heard um, or seen a midwife talk about the benefits of babies that might need to cry or never really seen like that much for the moms, how they're feeling when they have a baby crying. Like often I I hear the mom say, oh, I want to get a dummy. So I don't, I don't know how much I can say at this stage as a student, which is also kind of hard, but, (laughs) but it's something that I would like to find a way to share the information. I, and there is research starting on aware parenting. So I think once we have more of that, like with with also the benefits of crying, because at this at this stage, it's just research on the uh, benefits of play that's been done. So hopefully, yeah, the benefits of crying as well and for newborns. And, you know, once once aware parenting research grows and grows, I think it'll be easier to get into the system more. But at this stage, it's kind of just like very kind of all over the place, nothing uniform and very little awareness of aware parenting. Mm, yeah, it's certainly um, so much missing in that space, isn't there? And I, I I love thinking about you offering this as you become certified or qualified or whatever the expression is, and then able to, to bring so much change because it, it is so needed. And it, it's not just, a, like you say, it's not just about understanding where parenting and sharing that approach so that midwives and professionals can then support parents in that way. There are so many other aspects to it. And we had a conversation about this the other day in our Aware Parenting Instructors meeting with Aletha that I thought was so interesting. And one of the other Aware Parenting Instructors was talking about how so many midwives are carrying their own trauma, not just from their childhood, but also from the experiences that they face in in working in birth where there are really traumatic times in in that experience and, and how they're not really supported to, to process that trauma and, and how that then impacts on the care that they're able to give to others. So I just really feel like an aware parenting understanding that would be providing support and spaces for listening for midwives so that they can offload when they have these traumatic experiences would just make them so much more skilled to be supporting parents. And then, of course, there's all the ways that mothers need support to be processing and sharing their birth stories that we we don't really get much of. And information for couples, for both parents can be so missing. And I love how just increasingly now, because there's so many more aware parenting instructors, you're starting to see these offerings. And I know like you in this space is going to be so powerful and transformative and and other aware parenting instructors who are offering like mother's groups because like for for like-minded people. So Rafa, one of our colleagues is, is doing that now at the moment in Melbourne. And I just feel like, you know, when I went to mother's group, 
everybody in mother's group was talking about doing control crying with their children. And I was saying I didn't want to do that. I wasn't willing to do that, but I was also exhausted. And then they were like, well, of course you're tired. You've just got to, that's what you've got to do. And if you're not willing to do it, you're not going to sleep. And so after about three goes, I just stopped going because I found it to be such a unsupportive space, but I really yearned for that support from like-minded people. So I love the sense that as a web parenting grows, these all of these different areas, but particularly this space around that that newborn stage is going to be so much better supported for people. I, I barely got the support I needed at all in, in that stage. And I can see how powerfully transformative it will be for mothers to be receiving and fathers to be receiving that support. Is there anything? Yes, like definitely. Yeah. So the reason I got into midwifery is because the last few years I've been working with moms and bubs and pregnant women, been doing yoga, but I've also been offering like aware parenting kind of like after the yoga, let's talk about this topic that's around aware parenting. And I've, yeah, I've gotten so much positive feedback around it. And I just loved being in that special time of of families' lives when they're starting to grow their families. And yeah, so I definitely... I'm so excited to be there, like in midwifery and aware parenting and yeah, sharing all these wonderful aware parenting techniques. And I, I really hope to, you know, see something happen, some changes <laughs> to, yeah, to teach it, to be, to be heard because it's just so important for families and it's not like it's some secret. It's, it's out there and it just needs to be spread. And I think that it can, we can see like a huge impact once it's it's reached more birth workers and young families. Yeah, so exciting. Sounds amazing. Mm. So is there anything else? I'm aware of the time. Is there anything else that we haven't spoken about that you would love to share or you would love people to understand that you're really passionate about or anything else? Oh, I think that pretty much covered it. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for asking me and for listening. And I loved hearing about your stories as well. And yeah, I really hope that this has helped somebody hear about some experiences and feel inspired. Yeah, thank you so much, Laura. So how can people find out about you? What do you offer and, and how can people get in touch? Yeah, well, at the moment I'm studying, so I'm not offering too much. I do have a website and that is www.ljspeace.com. And once in a while, if you're living around here in the Northern Rivers, I offer mums and bubs and pregnancy yoga and sometimes an aware parenting group and one-on-one sessions. So that, that happens still. And I'm also just happy to, if anybody wants to connect with me, I've made um, a free kind of course on Facebook during COVID and that's still open. So if anybody did want to send me a message or anything, which you could find um, through my website, you can send me a message and I'll invite you to join my Facebook page and you can watch some videos about aware parenting. Wonderful. That sounds amazing. I'll put all those links in the show description. Thanks, Laura. And the last thing I always ask people is, uh, what would you love to have known at the beginning of this process? Or what would you love to say to somebody who's just starting in this process that would make it, would have made the process easier for you had you deeply understood that right at the beginning? Hmm. Just the power of healing, that releasing stress, being supported by another person is just so beneficial and helpful. And so the way we can like help our children by being there and supporting them and listening is going to heal them. And in the same way for ourselves, like seeking support, if we need it, is going to help you as well. Like whether it's talking about certain situations that happen in the past or the present. So yeah, the support from one another and that being able to communicate and cry or release, you know, it's just so healing. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thanks so much, Laura. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm so grateful for you making time. I really loved your sharing and I know it's going to be really helpful for people listening. So thank you so much. Thanks, Joss. This is so amazing. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love.
on your parenting adventures. Mm-hmm.